After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses, and fifty men to run before him. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, Oh, that I were a judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. Whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And at the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron. For your servant vowed a vow while I lived to Geshur in Aram, saying, The Lord will indeed bring me back to Jerusalem, and I will offer worship to the Lord. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, as soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. With Absalom, with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence and knew nothing. And while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel, the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. Okay, well... Absalom is um, working on staging a uh, overthrow of the government. Um, and he does that with several steps. In verse 1, what's he doing? Looking kingly. Looking kingly. That's exactly right. He's got a chariot. He's got runners. Pomp and ceremony impress. You know, it convinces the shallow-minded that he's really important. People, people all the time will talk in elections like, well, you've got to look presidential. You know, not to be a presidential, you have to look it. You know, we're very concerned about uh, the, the show, the, the impression that's left. So he tries to leave the impression that he is a very important person. And uh, then in two and three, what's he doing? Acting as a false judge. Yes. Anybody who comes to the gate, you know, to David for justice, you know, he's, he's there early. And he's, he's taking a personal interest in them. You know, what city are you from? You know, and uh, he really cares about them, you know. He, he's, he's the people's candidate. And he promises that in any dispute, he'll be on their side. So that's hard to do. If you've got two sides, you're going to be on both of them. But politicians know, particularly opposition politicians, know that it's easier to promise than to deliver. Things have not changed in the last 3,000 years. And so he tells everybody exactly what they want to hear. And, and people are gullible enough to swallow it. Often people are too selfish to see through that. They want the government to do everything they want it to do for them. You know, so we tend to, to go, uh, go ahead and, and believe in that. And, uh, you know, every time somebody came in verse 5, he, he'd, you know, take hold of them, he'd kiss their hand. You know, he was such a humble man. You know, he was, he was uh, just down-to-earth kind of a guy. Austin. And he spends a great deal of time there undermining everyone else. Oh, that someone would just appoint me 
And, and again, when we see people or when we act that way in our lives, when we, we start criticizing what everybody else isn't doing, oftentimes we're not doing the right thing. Yes. He is presenting himself as an alternative candidate for king, even though there's no vacancy in the office. You know, he is trying to get the people to want him in place of David. And sure enough, the heart of the Israelites is shallow enough, they like Absalom more than they like David. And they're, they're now wanting Absalom to be their king. He's the people's choice. And so, wow. Absalom goes to David, and he asks to do what? To fulfill this vow. Yeah, I need to go to Hebron to fulfill this vow I made to God. You know, when I was living back in Geshur, I made this vow and all that. You know, um, this, is, uh, this is the kind of a vow perhaps every parent wishes their child would make. You know, this is wonderful. It leaves an impression on David. And uh, parents, think about yourself, parents. Parents are very reluctant to see the truth about their kids. Now, sometimes it goes both ways. I've seen parents who their kids can do no right. You know, wonderful kids and the parents who can only see wrong in them. But often it's, it's this. Often it's just a blind spot when it comes to our children. And, uh, you know, so David suspects nothing. And... Uh, Absalom doesn't care to be profaning the name of God to use, you know, the idea of this vow to God as a pretext to instigate open rebellion against David. By the way, what's the significance of Hebron? That's where David began his kingship, probably a place down in the south. And uh, Absalom's got this thing orchestrated to the hilt. You know, he has trumpeters in strategic locations so that the proclamation will go out almost simultaneously that Absalom is king. And he, he brings 200 of, of the chief governmental officials down to Hebron with him. It's going to look like they're in on the plot. It's going to look like they're favoring the coup. It kind of makes it look like everybody's kind of with him. And he, he calls Ahithophel, who was a counselor that, that both David and Absalom esteem very highly. It's also going to mean that at the very time David needs his top advisors, they're with, they're with Absalom. They're, David does not gain the benefit of their advice and counsel and help. So Absalom has masterminded this thing in a very impressive way. He's going down to Hebron at a certain point. Everybody in the country is going to hear, Absalom is king. Just what everybody wanted. Comments and thoughts, Chuck. Uh, Ahithophel, is he some relation to Bathsheba's grandfather? He appears to be from the fact that uh, uh, Eliab was uh, Ahithophel's son and Bathsheba's father. I mean, can you speak what Psalm 55 is? Uh, I think that is talking about Ahithophel double-crossing David. Yeah, good Psalm. Psalm 55, Psalm 41 also. I mean, Ahithophel was such a trusted advisor to David. The fact that he defected and went to Absalom will be a crushing blow. We'll see more about that later, too. Other thoughts? Do we have recorded where Absalom did make a vow? No, I think it's just an excuse. Because if he did, it's been about nine years since he's been there. <laughs> yeah. So he's a bit late. Yeah, yeah. Very prompt in paying his vows, you know. Tim. 
I was thinking to note that uh, Absalom's name literally means my father is peace, and here he is going out and um, rebelling against his father. Yeah, and it's also interesting that David says to go in peace to a son who's plotting war. Yeah. Other thoughts? I think it's important, uh, you know, the fact that Absalom appealed to the people's selfish sides. Yes. Um, we need to be careful as individuals to not just go with the people that appeal to our selfish sides. Yeah. Often we like the people who tell us what we want to hear and who offer us the things we want to have. But that is a very dangerous trap. Those people are often not sincere even in it. And, uh, you know, it, sh it really betrays our self-focus a lot of times in that. Other thoughts? Kelly? Uh, given what David said to the woman, Kikoa, initially sort of putting her off, and how, mm -hmm. well, 10 chapter 10 is it, and says he, or nine, that he ruled in justice and righteousness, <coughs> and then to how he worked with, his son, who's got this quagmire of trying to administer justice in his own family, his own family kind of abandons that. I wonder what he's done with the nation and administering justice and righteousness. And fourth, and if he's now kind of reaping the whirlwind yet, I mean, he's kind of, in other words, Absalom's claim about no one administering justice, I wonder if there's some truth to that. Uh, and it's another consequence of David's sin. Yeah, good point. You can imagine David being lax in justice from just the things we know about him since from the time of his uh, fall. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Okay, how about 13 to 18? And a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us, quickly and bring down the ruins on us, and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servant said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do whatever my lord the king decides. So the king went out and all his household after him. And the king left ten concubines to keep the house. And the king went out and all the people after him, and they halted at the last house. And all his servants passed by him, and all the Chetherites and all the Pelethites, and all 600 Gittites who had followed him from Gath passed out before the king. Okay. So, David sees the handwriting on the wall. He's really unable to mount a credible response, thanks to both the public support for Absalom and his success in taking most of the administration hostage, David sees the best thing to do is to flee. You know, he, he flees from Absalom's takeover of the government. He fears that Absalom will kill him. And so they flee out. That's really a sad thing. Can you imagine? You know, the emotions that go through you when you're fleeing from your own son who would probably kill you to become king in your place. And uh, what, the, much of this story now revolves around David fleeing, uh, people that he encounters as he leaves, uh, the battle that will ensue, and David coming back and the people he encounters on his way back. 
really that whole scenario lasts us through the end of chapter 19. It's very interesting. Some of the things, really almost I believe you see better qualities in David coming out in this than you do in a lot of other things. Sometimes when people are down, they really show more spirituality than any other time. Comments and thoughts on this decision of David to flee from his son and things in this text. Yes, Cameron. Yeah. Go to God to inquire of him in this case. A lot of the time he does. I wonder what would happen if he did. If God would have had him stay and had him fight and win, or what would happen with you think? I don't know the answer to that. That's a good question. There may be some times that David does inquire of the Lord that it's not mentioned. It's also a possibility. But. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Abby. I think it's kind of ironic that. When David David showed mercy to his son, when he should have disciplined him, but now his son is turning around and rebelling against him. And if he had just done what he should have done in the first place, this would not happen. Yeah, you don't gain respect by not disciplining. You know, you're a nice guy, Mr. Parent, Mrs. Parent, and you think now my kid will always be loyal to me. It doesn't work out that way. Other thoughts. Yes, that's exactly right. Amnon kind of, well really David almost got the the ball ball rolling and one thing has just led to another, led to another, led to another, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's really a sad story. Alright, other comments or questions? Yeah, Patrick. Uh, and on that note, I mean when you look at this and look at David's sin back with Bathsheba and how these ensuing sins kind of model after that, it's interesting the punishments that Nathan talks about, like inextricably intertwined with consequences. I mean, it's just the punishment is the natural result of the sin. It's not like this is some supernatural experience that, you know, that just. You couldn't imagine this ever happening. I mean, this is the natural result of sin. You're That's right. Sin yeah, you're exactly right. Sin leads to consequences like this inevitably. Yes, Kimberly. It shows like how important it is to discipline your kids. Yes, it does. Good point. Remember that when you have children. All right, other comments or thoughts? All right, I think we'll take a break here again and go uh, for 15 minutes or so. David fleeing from his son. As he flees, he has encounters and conversations with different people. 2 Samuel 15, 19 to 23. Then the king said to Hittite, uh, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king. For you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go? I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Hittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Nittai, Go and cross over. And Nittai the, uh, the Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. 
and all the country went with the loud voice, and all the people prospered. The king himself also crossed over to uh, Tikran, and all the people crossed over towards uh, the way of the wilderness. So, here you have, you know, David talking to one of the men who's accompanying him. He is not an Israelite, he's a Gittite. Probably means he's from Gath, meaning he's from the Philistine territory. And yet he's a recent uh, supporter of David, a very capable supporter of David. And what does David tell Ittai as Ittai begins fleeing together with David and his company? Yeah. You're not in this fight. You know, it, it, it'd be better for you to go home. David is thoughtful even in this stressful time for him and he feels like this is unfair to Ittai to expect him to accompany him when it's really not even Ittai's own people. So he says, you can just go on home, you've just come fairly recently, and uh, I can't make you, you know, go with me. I can't expect that out of you. But what's Ittai's response? Yeah, he is determined to stay with him, whether death or life awaits him, he will be David's servant. Does that remind you of the response of any other foreigner to an Israelite in the Old Testament? Ruth, spoken to Naomi, her commitment to stay with her. Just so encouraging. Think about the contrast between Ittai the Gittite and Absalom, David's son. Wow. Isn't that quite a contrast? You know, it's just really kind of shocking to see the difference. You really appreciate Ittai. It's also sad to see later on when they actually fight against Absalom. David's army will be divided into three groups. And they will have to depend on Ittai, this foreigner, to lead one of the three groups. You know, it just shows how much David's support among his fellow Israelites has eroded and is very sad. But I think more than anything, I'm just impressed that David is thinking about what would be in the best interest of Ittai instead of thinking about himself in this extremely difficult and stressful period. Comments and thoughts on that? Cameron. Why is it that Ittai is so loyal since he had only arrived yesterday? Yeah, well, I think yesterday's figurative, obviously, but recently, I don't know why he's so loyal. That's interesting. Logan. Well, I think one thing, another thing about Ittai that I found interesting is in verse 21, in his response to David, he started prefaces it by saying, as the Lord lives. And it's the, if I'm understanding this correctly, it has the all caps, I mean, he was using the proper name for Yahweh. So it seems even that in his time, he had come to fear the Lord as well. well perhaps he'd come to fear the Lord, and that's why he joined David. Who knows? But yes, he does seem to have not only converted to him politically, but also spiritually. Other comments? Uh, it seems like David is just so sad and gloomy and... It's almost got the the Eeyore type mentality of you don't want to be around me and you should probably just go home. It's an impression that I get from the, just David's mentality. He, he just seems broken. I think he is very defeated. Who wouldn't be? Wow. Your own son is overthrowing your government without to kill you. Your eldest remaining son 
that's not enough to discourage you. I, I mean, I think that's understandable. I do think you're right to some extent. Though, though I, I mean, David is not just, uh, you know, whining. I don't think, see David whining. But I do think he's very down. And I think you would expect that. Thoughts? Evan? Going back to Hittai fearing the Lord, we don't have record of Absalom fearing the Lord. And so again, you have a contrast between this foreigner and Absalom, not just in their service to David, but in their service to God. Yeah, good maybe point. Hittai recognizes that David is still God's anointing and recognizes that the power is not with David, but is with God. Good point. Maybe so. Good good thought. Right. Even still, David has a track record that Absalom does not have any of. I mean, he's expanded the borders of the kingdom a lot farther than the world when he became king, and he's accomplished lots of things and gathered lots of precious metals that will misuse the temple. And that, even if you don't believe in God, even if you're just, you know, looking at the true people, you would think you would see David as the one who could be more successful. Yeah, if you had more depth. It seems like the people are superficially wowed by Absalom, but if you've got some depth and perception, I agree. David's uh, a lot more substantive. Chad? Um, it seems that it's so sad how far the, the nation has fallen. We're going through the period of the judges and now just the second king that they've wanted over them, they've pushed him away. And, and David being the great king. Yeah. And, and today, you know, we are part of a great kingdom as well. And we can push it away the same way Absalom has. And we need to be careful that we're not becoming our own rulers, but continue to let God rule our lives. Good point. Good point. Yes, Eric. Um, which direction are they going? I believe they are basically going east. Correct? Yeah. It takes it nuts. Like they're going to cross the door? Right. Okay. <clears throat> Correct. But did the, were, was it the brook of Kidron that the Israelites originally crossed uh, to get over to the other side? Is there any significance to that? Or do I have the wrong river? You mean when they crossed over the Jordan to enter the land of Canaan? I think so, with 12 stones. Yeah, that was Jordan. That was the Jordan. Right. Okay. I was going to say the Kidron just ran next to Jerusalem. Right. So that's answer your question. Okay. Other thoughts? Okay. Uh, 24 to 29. There was Zadok also, and all the Levites with him, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of God. And they set down the Ark of God, and Abathar went up until all the people had finished crossing over from the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Carry the Ark of God back into the city. If I find favor in the eyes of the Lord, he will bring me back and show me both it and his dwelling place. But if he says thus, I have no delight in you, here I am. Let him do to me as seems good to him. The king also said to Zadok the priest, Are you not a seer? Return to the city in peace, 
and your two sons with you, Ahimehaz, your son, and Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. See, I will wait in the plains of the wilderness until the word comes from, from you to inform me. Therefore, Zadok and Abiathar carried the ark of God back to Jerusalem, and they remained there. Okay, so you've got uh, Zadok uh, bringing the ark of God to David, you know, so that he can have the ark's presence with him. Kind of reminds you maybe of when they did that uh, back in the days of Hophni and Phinehas into the battle with the Philistines. But what's David's response to Zadok? Yeah, he's not going to take the ark away, you know, trying to turn the ark into some sort of political advantage. He's going to wait and depend on the grace of God. If God's willing to bring him back, then he'll come back to the ark, and if not, not. Uh, but he's not going to take the ark of God away from its house. Uh, and, and furthermore, he suggested that Zadok might be useful to him, and Abiathar, the two priests, that they have two sons that could serve as runners that could bring information to David that might be useful to him in knowing what's going on in Jerusalem with Absalom and the plans that he may have uh, to fight against David. So, you know, I believe David here is submitting to the will of God. He's respecting the ark of God and so forth. I really do think you see overall very good qualities in David during this period. Comments or questions? Uh, how about uh, 30 to 37? And David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, and wept as he went, and his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered his head and went up weeping as they went. Now someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, make the counsel of Ahithophel foolishness. It happened as David was coming to the summit, where God was worshipped, that behold, Hushai the archite met him with his coat torn and dust on his head. David said to him, If you pass over with me, then you will be a burden to me. But if you return to the city and say to Absalom, I will be your servant, O king, as I have been your father's servant in time past, so I will now be your servant, then you can thwart the counsel of Ahithophel for me. Are not Zadok and Abiathar the priests with you there? So it shall be whatever you hear from the king's house, you shall report to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Behold, their two sons are with them there, Ahimez and Zadok's son, and Jonathan, Abiathar's son, and by them you shall send them everything that you hear. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city, and Absalom came into Jerusalem. David receives horrible news. Ahithophel, his trusted advisor, is on Absalom's side. That's a very bitter blow because he has great respect for Hethophel's wisdom. The counsel he gives is excellent. And so he's being deprived of the most trusted advisor, and Absalom has it. Both of those are very uh, bad news kinds of things for David. We, we pointed out before, but I'll note with you the evidence for this. 2 Samuel 11 and verse 3, Bathsheba's the daughter of Eliam. And in 2 Samuel 23, verse 34, Eliam is the son of Ahithophel the Gilonite. So if we're talking about the same Eliam, then it would mean that Ahithophel is Bathsheba's grandfather. And you wonder if there's anything in all of that that might have provoked Ahithophel to go over to Absalom's side. 
I don't know. And I don't know for sure that it's in your life. But that, that is a reasonable conjecture, I think. Comments and thoughts? On that, yes. Yeah. Um, I think it's cool how in verse uh, 31, when David is brought that he, Ahithophel, uh, uh, say that, is being, um, is working against him, his first response is to go to prayer. I think more, normally we won't, wouldn't do something like that. That seems like a kind of ridiculous prayer to pray to be against somebody. But our first response should always be to go down and pray. Good point. But it is, it is a difficult blow, but that's exactly right. That's the best thing to do. Tim? Uh, my connection. Uh, David is on the Mount of Olives, which is like Gethsemane would have been, when he heard the news about Ahithophel betraying him, which is very parallel to the fact that he would just uh, betray Jesus on the same mountain uh, a thousand years later. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. Evan. Now, David here, when he finds out about Ahithophel, he doesn't <coughs> seek and, and wait to get his own vengeance. In fact, we find that David very consistently, when he is wrong personally, he doesn't seek vengeance for himself. Almost universally, he relies on the Lord for vengeance. And, and that's a... You know, a lesson, you know, I need. That, that when I'm wrong, I need to put that in the Lord's hands and I need to go about my business. Amen. Excellent point. So Hushai comes out and he offers to go with David, but David's got a better idea. What does he want Hushai to do? Be a spy. Be a spy. Pass himself off as an advisor to Absalom and become a double agent, become a plant of, of David's in the uh, high councils of, of Absalom. Really, that's going to be more effective. I think David's very concerned about Ahithophel's advice. You know, he needs to do anything possible to try to counteract that, because Ahithophel is so wise, if Absalom follows his advice, it's almost certainly going to be disastrous for David. And so he says, you can find out things and pass it through Zadok and Abiathar's sons to run it to me. And you can try to, you know, mess up Ahithophel's wisdom somehow by, by becoming a, a rival counselor for Absalom. So that is David's idea. He thinks Hushai will be more valuable to him uh, trying to be a part of Absalom's administration. Comments and questions about that? Yeah, right. How is that ethical? I'm not sure I want to say that it was. I don't know that ethics, again, is really the question here. Pretty ingenious. Other questions? Comments? All right, uh, chapter 16, verses 1 to 4. Another encounter. 